Hey, Amanda, remember that time a king started two civil wars? An historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history. And y'all, <laughs> it's gonna be a weird one today, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably Honestly. a little bit. Um, it's a little, it's gonna be kind of long, I'll warn you now, because there's it's a kind of hefty subject. And also, I got my second COVID booster yesterday. And I am feeling the effects today, so <laughs> it might be a little weird up in here. Yeah, too. and normally, if one of us was not feeling well, we would wait a little bit to record. However, I'm about to be um, gone with no internet for a week, so we needed to record early. I mean, listen, I feel fine enough to record. I'm not, like, sick or anything, but I am very tired and kind of sore, which is making me, like, a little loopy, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm not on my A game. I'm not on my A game. That's all Mm -hmm. I'm saying. Well, should we do a drink update before we? Yeah, yeah. Let's get started with that. Okay. Well, it while it is almost noon at time of recording, I'm still drinking my coffee because I woke up late today. So coffee over here. I am just drinking some water. (laughs) I also have a sprite on deck just in case. Which actually, I Last should... time you had a ginger ale on deck. I know. I should open this now so it doesn't make a weird sound. Hold on. Okay, I think we're good. I was afraid rip it, it was going to... Grip it and gonna... rip it. I was afraid it was going to sizzle a lot more. It's not a can, so... <laughs> grip it and rip it. Grip it and rip it. Okay, well, let's get going because there's a lot of information. Yeah, let's dive in. So today we're talking about Charles I of England. Um, a real interesting <laughs> monarch. <laughs> Um, that, wow, a lot of things happen under Charles. Now, I'm going to try to include as much as I can, but just be aware, there are definitely some things we're going to skip over. Charles has a lot of, um, conflicts with his parliament, and I'm not going to go into all of those, because they're extensive. There are just less, ones that are more important and ones that are less important. Yeah, I'm going to give you the ones that are important enough that, like, they're going to affect the rest of the story. Sure. Um, so if I leave some things out... Sorry. Don't be surprised. <laughs> um, I did find just if anybody is interested in Charles and um, like the Civil War and how it all came to be, I found an interesting documentary series on Amazon Prime. I, for the life of me, can't remember what the full title was, but I mean, if you just search Charles, the first documentary, it should come up and it was good. Um, so if you're looking for more kind of detailed info, I'm going to use a little bit of information from that in here, but um, there's a lot more there. So. Just FYI. Okay, cool. Let's do it. So Charles is born on November 19th, 1600. And uh-oh, we already have a difficult name to pronounce. Dunfermline? Dunfermline? I don't know. Dunfermline. Castle, yeah. uh, palace in Fife, Scotland. It's a Scottish name. I'm not great with Scottish pronunciation, so sorry. He is the second son of our good friend, James... <laughs> James of Scotland. Um, oh, James. And, and Anne of Denmark. Now, I say of Scotland because he James is not yet the king of England. Of England when, also. When Charles is born. Right. Um, when Charles is born, he's given the title Duke of Albany, which is the traditional title given to the second son of the king of Scotland. And then in 1603, Elizabeth I of England dies and James then becomes king of England. Right. Now we have a whole episode on James. So if you're we interested sure in James, uh, yeah, that's a... What a fascinating man. Oh, boy. It's one of the very few um, English monarchs that I took. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Because, my God. Yeah. I, I think if you listen to that episode and then this one, you're going to see a lot of where, like, Charles gets it from. Right. Uh, <laughs> so when Charles is... Uh, baby and a young kid he's pretty sick um he can't really walk on his own and he doesn't start talking early on um 
So when his father becomes king of England, the family goes there. His siblings go with his parents to England, but he stays behind. Um, And he is given a guardian who helps him learn how to walk. Um, And by 1604, he's doing a little bit better. So they send him to England with the rest of his family. Got it. Um, While he's there, because he's still kind of trying to get better he's placed under the care of elizabeth um lady carrie and she um and her husband sir robert carrie um put him in boots made of spanish leather and brass to help him strengthen his ankles oh so it's like those braces that we make for kids now that have difficulty walking when they're small (laughs) yes exactly um, and they help him try to learn how to talk a little bit more, but his speech remains kind of rough for the rest of his life. Like he has a stammer for mm-hmm. most of his life. So he, he likely had some sort of, um, like defect chromosomal deletion or something that um, we just wouldn't have known about. Well, huh? they think it was probably rickets. Got it. Okay. Um, but we don't really know for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in January of 1605, he is also given the title Duke of York because now he's the son of the King of England as well. The second son of the King of England. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, he does have a tutor as a child. He learns, you know, he learns about the classics, languages, math, religion, very much into the religion. Because think about this, Charles and his siblings are kind of the first ones to be like born into the church of england in a way in terms and of don't monarchs. have a memory of a time before the church of england yeah they're still working on making the church of england like official i guess you could say at this time in england but you know they are they are past the point of the years and years and years and years of conflict in the wake of switching to the Church of England. Yes and no. I mean, yeah, yeah, yes and no, because the conflict in Europe remains. Protestantism Uh and Catholicism are still fighting. Well, that is that will exist forever. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like, Charles is one of the first monarchs of England that is like born into the established established church church, yeah i mean not the establishing of the church right i guess you could say elizabeth the first technically but it's not well established no 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 it was still very i mean he turbulent henry had just created it at that point for the sake of you know marrying it was still basically catholicism at that point (laughs) yeah exactly and we're going to talk a lot more about that as we go on Mm -hmm. um okay so He's studying all the usuals. He starts to get a little more healthy. um, And he eventually becomes a really adept horseman um, and a marksman. He takes up fencing. So he he is, you know, physically active when he's a He gets stronger and develops more as he gets older. Exactly. So in November of 1612, Charles' older brother, Henry Frederick, who is at the time the Prince of Wales dies at the age of 18 so charles becomes the heir apparent when he's about 12 um and in november of 1616 he is given the title prince of wales because now he is the king's oldest son Uh, these children of royalty collect Mm -hmm. titles like pokemon oh my god i swear he had so many more that i didn't put in here uh there were a lot more titles that he they all do though they just have a thousand of them how did his brother die i don't remember Um, I didn't look too deep into it. I can't remember. There's a lot going on here. So I was like, you know. (laughs) That one one went to the bottom of the list. (laughs) This one isn't about Henry. So, you know. Um, so something important to know about Charles. And I just put it in here because we're about to start talking about him kind of, you know, coming into power. Charles believes deeply in the divine right of kings, much like his father. So this is very important when we talk about Charles in his reign. He right. is very serious about the idea of the divine right of kings, which if you don't know, just means that he believes that um, kings are appointed by God and no one can overrule the king because of that. Right. So just keep that 
stored away. Okay, so he's the eldest son now. He's the heir apparent, and his father, James, wants him to marry the Habsburg princess Maria Anna of Spain. He, okay, this sounds weird, right? Because Maria Anna is a Catholic. Uh Uh-huh. James really wants to reach peace between the Catholics and the Protestants in Europe because it is causing a lot of turmoil and it's costing everybody a lot of money. Yeah. But because she's Catholic, Parliament does not want this to happen. Right. Um, so ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't play out, this marriage, because Parliament's against it and because when Charles and, um, Buckingham, the Duke of Buckingham, who we're going to talk about a little more here. Um, the Duke of Buckingham is one of James's, you know, favorites in his court. So Charles and Buckingham go to Spain to try to make this happen. And the Spanish Catholics are not interested. They want Charles to convert to Roman Catholicism in order to make the marriage happen. And they also want um, the toleration of Catholics in England. Right. It just doesn't play out. Right. So that marriage doesn't happen. And because of that, Charles and Buckingham then come back to England and they basically convince James to talk to Parliament and declare war on Spain. Here, let's get married so we can try and make some peace. Uh, No, I don't think our conditions are going to really even out. No, that's okay. We'll just declare war on you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So English. It's so English. So around this time, it's about 1624 now, James is very ill. He's nearing the end of his life. He's not doing very well. And he's kind of at constant odds with his parliament, partially because of this trying to convince them to declare war on Spain. Um, And Charles and the Duke of Buckingham are basically in control at this point. Right. right? Um, Because James is not doing very well. And then on March 27th of 1625, James passes away. Right. Which makes Charles king of England, Scotland, and Ireland. That's right. He's, again, gotta catch them all. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Some and of those would prefer did, not to then, be caught, I feel. And then but, a lot you know. of stuff happens with all of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Indeed. Yeah. A lot of stuff is still happening with all of them. Mm-hmm. So when Charles becomes king, he and Buckingham decide to turn their attention to an alliance with France um, because it didn't work out with Spain. France or Spain. France or Spain. That's the story of England. I know, right? (laughs) And on May 1st of 1625, Charles is married by proxy to the French princess Henrietta Maria in front of the doors of Notre Dame in Paris. He's, uh, she's 15. He's 24, like almost 25. Oof. Um, and they don't meet in person until June 13th, 1625. The concept of marriage by proxy is wild to me. (laughs) And he decided to marry her. He met her or saw her while he was traveling to Spain to work out the first marriage that didn't work out. Lord! So, okay, again, this is going to be contentious because Henrietta, again, is Catholic. So Charles, although the French are a little less, a little less. Well, get ready strict. for it, Amanda, because oh we're not okay. done yet. So Charles delays the opening of his first Parliament so as to avoid opposition to the marriage. Sure. So we're starting early. The Parliament yeah. already had issues with James before him, and now he's just like, mm, I'm not going to do anything to fix that. Yeah. So uh. Parliament is very concerned, obviously, that Henrietta is a Roman Catholic. They don't want this to happen. Charles tells them, look, relax. I'm not going to make any changes, right? Religious restrictions are still going to be in place. But when they get married... Okay, (laughs) so Henrietta is the sister of the King of France, Louis the 13th. Yeah. And... um. So he has to make, Charles has to make a treaty with Louis in order to marry Henrietta. And in this Because of treaty, course he does. Yeah. In this treaty, he tells Louis, 
actually, I am going to make some changes to religious restrictions. Also, I'm going to give you guys some ships to help out uh, with you kind of crushing Protestant uh, revolutions. But shh. Um, so he signs this like <laughs> secret contract where he tells Louis, like, actually, the Catholics are going to be in better shape now that this marriage is happening. But he tells Parliament, no, 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 nothing's going to change. Lord. So we're doing great already. On February 2nd of 1626, Charles is crowned at Westminster Abbey, and his wife doesn't attend because she refuses to take part in the Protestant religious ceremony. Lord. So, we're doing great. Wow. Yeah. Um, Queen of the country refuses to attend. Yeah. I mean, hey. Okay. Sure. Whatever. (laughs) Um, eventually Charles and Henrietta will have nine children. Um, three of their sons and three of their daughters survive infancy. We're not going to talk too much about their kids, uh, because it's just like, it's not important to the story, um, at this point. So just throwing that in there as a fact. (laughs) They have a, a handful of children. Yeah. Okay. So Charles's reign, we're in it now. Big it's happening. It's We're happening. in it. It's Big going on. Big concern during his reign is foreign policy. Okay. So Charles's sister, Elizabeth, is married to Frederick V. And it's all very complicated. But Frederick had lost his hereditary lands to the Holy Roman Emperor, Ferdinand II. And this leads to the Thirty Years' War, which is a very massive conflict in, in Europe, obviously. Yeah. Charles, also, the, the concept of way back when, when we would just name wars by how long they were. Yeah, I know. <laughs> is really funny to me. Like, there are several Five Years' Wars, mm-hmm. certainly, because that's how long they lasted sometimes. <laughs> Silly. Okay. It's a silly convention. Anyway. I, it is. I mean, hey, listen, if you can't come up with a catchy name, I think it's a good fallback. True. It it's just not distinguishing at all. No. <laughs> so, 30 Years' War is happening in Europe. Charles really wants to help his brother-in-law um, by full-on going to war with the Catholic King of Spain. He Which they also a, were already kind of at war with Spain. Yeah, and it was costing England a lot of money. A already. lot of money. But he wants to kind of, I don't know, he he wants to engage in the conflict. Parliament doesn't want to wage a full war because it will be expensive and they've already been spending a ton of freaking money. Um, instead, they want to... They want a naval attack on Spanish colonies in the New World um, because it will A, be less expensive, and B, they think that they can capture the Spanish treasure fleets there, which would then help them finance the Right. Not only would it be less expensive, they could actually make a profit off of those attacks where they couldn't off of attacks in an actual war. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're also at this point actively trying to get land in the New World anyway, so like it doesn't hurt to send people over that direction because they're like working on it. Right. So, um, hmm. They do decide to execute a naval expedition against Spain under the leadership of our friend Buckingham. Oh, boy. It goes real bad. And the House of Commons wants to impeach the Duke of Buckingham. They want him out. Right. Um, in May Which 16... they've never liked him. They never no, no, liked no, 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 him. No. Oh, God, no. They didn't. Even under James, they didn't like him. Um, in May of 1626, Charles is like, you know what? I still support my friend. And he nominates Buckingham as the chancellor of Cambridge University. And he has two of the members of the House of Commons who spoke against Buckingham arrested. <laughs> They're not in jail very Lord. long because the House of Commons like protests this and they eventually let them out. Um, but... This becomes a pretty big conflict, right, between Charles and, again, and the House of Commons. They're mm-hmm. they're arguing over Buckingham quite a bit, but mm-hmm. Charles will not back down. He's not going to dismiss him. That was my dad's boyfriend. You leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, right? Um, and then Buckingham leads another failed action 
Um, it, I'm not going to go too deep into that, but uh, he fails again. And <laughs> so it's not going great for, for Buckingham. And we're going to loop back around to him here in a second. In 1628, Charles again does something that gets people real angry, and he starts to impose a forced loan, um, which is a tax that is levied by him without the without the consent of Parliament. Mm. And this is how he's trying to raise money for the war. So now he's made mm. Parliament mad, and he's making the public mad. A pattern begins early, England. Hmm, this will cause some problems for you in the future. Oh yeah, and mostly under Charles still. <laughs> He's gonna yep. cause this problem over and over and over. <laughs> I'm going to make the same problem over and over and over again. So because of this, Parliament is summoned in March of 1628, and on in May of that year, they adopt a petition of right which basically calls upon Charles to acknowledge that he can't levy taxes without Parliament's consent. He can't impose martial law on citizens, which because he was. He was arresting citizens who decided not to pay. Uh-huh. He can't imprison them without due process, which, again, he was doing that. He was doing. Um, and Charles eventually says, okay, that's fine. Um, but he, he kind of keeps doing it anyway. Cool. So... Super cool and fun. Doing great. Also in 1628, on August 23rd, Buckingham is assassinated, which is a whole other story. Um, I didn't get too deep into, like, that whole plot, because, again... It is a whole other thing. But uh, this, again, is going to cause some conflict. Because Charles mourns in his room for, like, two days straight at the death of his friend. But the public is rejoicing. Right. Because <laughs> no one ever liked him. Yeah. Um, but his death does basically mark an end of the war with Spain because he was kind of... Spearheading it. Yeah. He was trying to make that war happen and now he's gone. So the war kind of fizzles out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't bring an end to Charles's uh, fights with Parliament. Right. So. Okay. Charles is fed up with having to ask Parliament for money, and he decides to dissolve Parliament. And then he decides to make peace with France and Spain. So he <laughs> decides to end the war and also to dissolve Parliament. Now this is I'm tired of talking deal. to you people. I'm tired of spending money. <laughs> well, he's not tired of spending money. He's just tired of asking, asking for to spend the money. permission to spend the money. So this is a big deal because... This does not happen very often. Mm-hmm. Kings or queens at this time have the option to call parliament or not, but this is not something that happened frequently because think about it. Politically, it's a big mistake. It's not smart to not call your parliament because the point is that they're supposed to, you know, provide checks on the monarchy and parliament. And they're also sort of like the gap between the monarchy exactly. and the public. Exactly. Exactly. Parliament has the numbers on their side. Right. Because right? they're supposed to be working in the interests of the public, which sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But, you know, you get it. Um, the public can identify more with the members of Parliament than they can with the king. So right. it's not a smart move. But Charles <laughs> does it. Sorry, I'm just thinking about how England is falling apart right now. It just made me giggle a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I was thinking about that while I was writing this. Like, okay, I'm, to the UK, I'm so sorry. I know that your government is in shambles right now. But and- also, thank you, because it's really fun for us to watch. <laughs> well, yes and no. Like, <laughs> yeah. on the one hand, it's like, wow, there's a lot going on over there. And it's a good distraction for us. But on the other yeah. hand, it's like, wow, your government's falling apart. I feel bad yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. don't mean to rub it in. Sorry. We can suffer about, together. Misery loves company. Another time your government totally fell apart. Okay. <laughs> so for the next 11 years, Charles rules England without a parliament. Uh, and this time is known as the personal rule or the eleven years tyranny. Yeah, depending on not how you feel good. It, I guess not good. 
it, Ooh, as if there weren't already anti-monarchy sentiments in yeah. England. I'm sure yeah. they they were only exaggerated after this period. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is precedent for a monarch ruling without parliament. Like I said, it has happened, but not, like, recently, if we're mm-hmm. looking at Charles's time. As you get more um, and more, quote-unquote, modern, it is more yes. and more expected for there to be a parliament. And only Parliament can legally raise taxes. So without it, Charles' capacity to acquire funds is really limited. Um, and the Stuarts, so he's from the House Stuart, Charles. Um, uh-huh. The Stuarts already have some money problems. Like they're not doing amazingly financially, right? And right. monarchs only have money if the public is giving them money. So. It's a it's a whole weird entangled web. <laughs> right. So, like we said, even without Parliament, Charles needs to acquire funds in order to maintain his treasury. So, okay. <laughs> he decides to rely on a feudal statute called the Distraint of Knighthood. Um, this was passed way back in 1278. It's old. Yeah, it's um, feudal. <laughs> yeah, it requires anyone who earns 40 pounds or more each year to present himself at the king's coronation so that they can join the royal army as a knight. So Charles finds everybody who didn't show up to his coronation back in 1626. He finds them all. Also, this, this is <laughs> absurd. That bit in Parks and Rec <laughs> where they throw Ted in the lake every year. Yeah. It's Ted Day. Except that if it, it's more like if Ted Day had stopped for a long, long, long time and suddenly they were like, let's do that again. Yeah, well, yeah. it's the bit where the guy walks into Leslie's office and says, I, an I gave you a quarter, I now own your car. Like, yeah, that's yes. that's what it is. Yeah. He also reintroduces an, an old feudal tax called the ship, uh, which is known as ship money. Um, also very unpopular. That's a whole other thing. Again, like, the whole conflict about ship money is a, a big old, big deal. The way the that public. he just went digging through old laws and went, mm, that'll do. That'll get me some money. I'll do that one. Yeah. Wild. He had to do something, I guess. And he decided, instead of calling Parliament to actually, you know, legislate. <laughs> Which, and that's the other thing. Like, Parliament, if they, if this, if this country needed money, Parliament would have raised the taxes because they are also in the interest of keeping the country functioning. You right. know, like... <laughs> so there's that but then uh-huh. there's also the religious conflicts that are going on during his reign because right, right now while charles is in charge <laughs> i've been waiting to use that one um it's also the english reformation there's a lot going on indeed i'm gonna read, I'm gonna read a little bit of this quote here um okay so Arminian theology emphasized clerical authority and the individual's ability to reject or accept salvation, which opponents viewed as heretical and a potential vehicle for the reintroduction of Roman Catholicism. Puritan reformers thought Charles too sympathetic to the teachings of, of Arminianism, which they considered irreligious and opposed his desire to move the Church of England in a more traditional and sacramental direction. Mm-hmm. That really sums up, like, what the big conflict is with Charles. Right. He really And also, wants... like, this is really where you start seeing those seeds of early America. Like, oh, this, yes. this conflict is the reason the country exists. So, like... The Puritans are a big player here at this yes. time in England. Um, Charles is much more traditional. He wants the sacraments to be part of the Church of England. And the Puritans really don't want that. Because they think it's, like this quote says, they think it's too close to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is a big source of conflict in his reign. 
1633, Charles appoints William Laud as the Archbishop of Canterbury. This is, again, a big deal because Laud supports Charles' desire to move the church away from Calvinism, which, hey, listen, who can blame him? John Calvin. (laughs) Whole other thing. Um, Oh, the Calvinists. But, of course, the Puritans do not want this. (laughs) So... Laud and Charles um, start initiating reforms. Um, they restrict nonconformist preachers. They insist that the liturgy be celebrated as prescribed by the Book of Common Prayer. The Book of Common Prayer is a big part of this conflict. Um, they organize the internal architecture of English churches. Um, to emphasize, like we said, the sacraments of the altar. And they reissue King James's Declaration of Sports, which I just included because I think that's a funny way to say it. <laughs> but basically, it just means that you can, um, it permits secular activities on the Sabbath. Um, right. Okay, so, yeah. Man, there is a lot to upset the Puritans in here. <laughs> Yeah, they they don't care for most of this. Yes, and you know what? Neither do the Scots. The Scots are really unhappy about this. Yes. Um, which again is going to become a big deal. Um, so to punish the people who refuse to accept these reforms, Laud starts using two courts that are very controversial. The Court of High Commission and the Court of Star Chamber. That's cor- that is an excellent name for a court. Yeah, the Court of Star Chamber. Hello. It sounds like something from a video game. Well, it makes me think of in Stranger Things the Star Court Mall. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the energy of it. Well, so the Court of High Commission can compel individuals to provide self-incriminating testimony. Oof. And the Court of Star Chamber could inflict any punishment at all, including torture. The only exception was death. That's the only thing it could They can't sentence you to death. To death. So, it's not great. It's th- Oof. This is why This is why a lot of people refer to this time as a period of tyranny, because that's what's happening, right? Yeah. So... Charles? Like I, I, just as a quick aside, we hear a lot about when we're thinking about early American history that the that lots of people left England searching for religious freedom, and you don't really think that hard about it because you just hear, oh, they didn't agree with the practices of the Church of England, but it wasn't just that; it was no, no. this. It yes. was this. This is what they were leaving. Yes, in an attempt to find "quote unquote" religious freedom, it was right, escaping. which is a whole other bag of worms. Like, <laughs> yeah, because there were like five or six different groups who all left to find different forms of religious freedom. <laughs> like, yeah, but then to settle in you know the americas and start imposing their religion their religion yeah yeah oh yeah it's a that's a whole other thing but this is it wasn't just that they were angry that there was a different church than like what they practiced it was that these practices were happening yes okay so along with that charles starts to try to impose these new policies in scotland which like you said causes a big problem yeah um He orders the use of a new prayer book modeled on the English Book of Common Prayer. (sighs) Not a good move. Um, The Scottish bishops do, you know, support this, at least publicly. But the Presbyterian Scots... Of which there are many. (laughs) Yeah, see this as a big red flag. They don't want to use it. Mm -hmm. um, Because they see it as a way for anglicism to be more integrated in scotland which they yeah big time oh yeah so on june 23rd of 1637 a riot breaks out in edinburgh on the first sunday that the new prayer book was supposed to be used Mm -hmm. um the general assembly of the church of scotland meets in november of 1638 as a result of these riots 
and they condemn the new prayer book. They abolish the Episcopal Church government by bishops, and they adopt a Presbyterian government led by elders and deacons. Wow. So, massive shift, all because Charles wants to impose these new religious, you know... Rules. Rules on them. Yeah. So in 1639, Charles tries to silence this rebellion and he initiates the first bishop's war. He raises an army without parliamentary aid. Oh, Lord. Um, it doesn't go well. It ends with a truce, which is pretty humiliating for Charles. That's not the result he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, in June of that same year. It doesn't last very long, the conflict. Um and he essentially agrees that Scottish subjects um, have ecclesiastical freedom. So he kind of puts a pause on that for a mm-hmm. while. But this war causes a big financial crisis, which of course forces it does. Charles to call Parliament again in 1640. And that ends the 11 years of you know, personal rule or tyrannical rule, whatever you want to call it. And it was his own fault. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything that happens in Charles's story is his own fault. Right. But he waited so, he was gone for so long. And then he started a war that he was, of course, going to lose and then caused a crash and then was forced to call parliament again. Yeah. And Congratulations, then, you played yourself. Yeah. And then... After he's called Parliament, he keeps trying to defeat the Scots. He initiates the Second Bishops' War. Um, Less than a year and later. <laughs> again, has to sign another treaty to Lord. end it um, in October of 1640. The uh, Scots it, are like, don't mess with us. I know, right? <laughs> um, the new treaty requires the king to pay the expensive expenses of the Scottish army that he had just been trying to defeat. Haha. Ha. So it ends real bad for Charles. It's That's what not you get. Good. Oof. Okay. So you guys, there's still so much happening here. I'm so sorry. This is such a long one, but <laughs> it's all, you know. Again, again, I took some stuff out. <laughs> um, but it's about to start, kind of rolling. <laughs> it's all it. going to be boom, boom, boom downhill from here. Got it. Okay. So. Charles does something weird again. He summons what is called the Magnum Concilium, which is an ancient council of all of the peers of the realm. So everybody's invited to this council. Come party. Yeah. Um, they hadn't been summoned like this for centuries. Um, of course not. Of honestly, it's kind of his way of trying to figure out, like, what he wants to do is not have to call Parliament, but come up with some other solution of how he can handle his finances. But this council says, no, you can't. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. And they advise him to call another Parliament, which he does. And this becomes known as the Long Parliament. Um, the last parliament that he called after the war with the Scots is considered the short parliament because he really only calls them for long enough to, like, get some get, financial aid, right? Yeah. And then he shuts it down again. But he has to call parliament again. So this parliament is led by John Pym, who is about to become extremely important. Indeed. In February of 1641, they pass the... Trenial Act, which says that Parliament has to be summoned at least once every three years, which feels like generous. And if the king fails to do that, they can assemble on their own. Good. <laughs> Necessary. <Okay>. So. <laughs> they got in there and they said, okay, first things first, we have to be here. <laughs> uh-huh. Charles doesn't love it, but it happens anyway. Charles starts making a lot of concessions to Parliament um, because what he's trying to do at this point is kind of subdue them. And he's also trying to gain the favor of the Scots because the Scots will allow him to gain anti-parliamentarian support. 
because... But he's just spent years at war with the Scots. I know. I know. There's a lot of back and forth. And there's going to be even more with the Scots. Like, just get ready. (laughs) So, there are a lot of Puritans in this parliament. That is a big part of why the Scots will provide him with anti-parliamentarian support. There are a lot of... Sure, okay. Okay. But that also makes sense because the Puritans have been the people that he's been making angry in... England, so of course they're going to want to be on Parliament because they want to represent their own interests. Like, exactly. He has he has created the worst situation for himself. (laughs) Nobody is happy with him. Amanda, it's about to get worse because we're we're now at like the inciting incident. Okay. Okay. So in November of 1641, John Prim, sorry, John Pym. My bad. I'm. I can't believe I've held it together this long. So you're crushing it. John Pym brings forth the Grand Remonstrance. This is massive. This is it's an incredible a, word also, by the way. I know. Remonstrance. Anyway. It's essentially a list of grievances against Charles I. <laughs> now, it's a brilliant document. Here's what happens. It sets forth 204 separate points of objection. Oh my gosh. And calls for the expulsion of all bishops from parliament, a purge of officials, and then asks parliament to have a right of veto over crown appointments. Um, And it also wants to end the sale of land confiscated from Irish rebels. So this is a big anti-Charles document. Wow. However, the brilliance of it is that it does not directly accuse the king of anything because that would be treason. So instead, they blame the state of all of this stuff on a Roman Catholic conspiracy made easier by the king's reconciliation with spain and a marriage to henrietta maria so they blame the queen for basically everything and some of charles's advisors as well but they just make her a scapegoat because they can't blame him now wow to be fair henrietta was almost certainly you know constantly whispering in his ear trying to make you know catholicism more tolerated in england that was absolutely happening so I won't even say like, oh, they blamed her because that, you know, because they needed a scapegoat. But I mean, they didn't. They didn't like there. Mm-hmm. There is enough truth to it that it's not just let's blame the woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, it's an itemized list of 30 years of disagreements. Yeah, exactly. sweet Jesus. <laughs> so that's the document, right? It's brilliant and fascinating. They. So something interesting about it is that John Pym actually, his ultimate desire for this document is to have it published so that everybody in England can read it if it passes, Mm. which is unprecedented. So he's trying to get this passed, right? There's a big debate that lasts hours and hours and hours. Some members of parliament aren't there because plague is running wild in london again and some of them don't want to travel there or can't travel there could not attend due to plague yeah so this is again john pym has this strategy to basically outlast the opposition a bunch of them can't make it um some of the members uh get tired and leave it's just filibustering basically one of them um, writes to the king and says, you know, hey, like, things seem to be looking okay. Um, I'm sick. I'm leaving. So the king thinks, okay, things are on the right track. But then this guy leaves and that's one more person out of the way, right? So he basically, you're right, like, filibuster, he outlasts the competition. Wow. <laughs> and the grand remonstrance. Uh, remonstrance passes by just 11 votes 159 to 148 wow so this is that's wild massive i think percentage wise and i'm bad at math but i think that's like 58 to 42 percent or something like that if you're thinking about it that way yeah something like that so it's very close (laughs) very close um Okay, so that's the big inciting incident for where we're going for the rest of this story. Now, while this is all happening, 
there's a rebellion in Ireland. <laughs> when isn't there a rebellion in Ireland? Of name na- point name one. <laughs> And there are rumors that Charles is complicit in this rebellion. There are even, like, faked documents, like, forged, show like, showing Charles' support for this rebellion. Wow. Like, they forged documents to make it seem like the king was all for it, which is a whole different thing. Uh-huh. Um, so they, there are a lot of pamphlets being published about everything that's happening in Ireland, um, they talk about massacres of English settlers. Um, so there's a whole lot going on there. Wow. So while that's happening, Pym then wants to pass a different bill called the Militia Bill, which is, quote, intended to wrest control of the army from the king, but it did not have support of the lords, let alone Charles. So right. that doesn't pass. They pass it as like a the word i'm looking for it's not a bill but it they kind of pass it as like a suggestion no in a way that they can i can't remember the word Mm. again my brain but this is just this is so interesting because they just he abused all of his powers for years so that when parliament was back they started stripping him of all of his powers oh yeah which is really stripping the future of the monarchy of all those powers so it's really reshaping the way that the the monarch this, is able to function. This totally changes the face of British government. Mm-hmm. They have the government that they have now because all of this happened. Right. right. So, okay, so lots happening, but also rumors start going around that Parliament intends to impeach his queen. This reaches Charles. He is very not happy about that. Um, and Henrietta, his wife, persuades him to arrest the five members of the House of Commons who are leading this anti-Stuart faction um, on charges of high treason. But, so so Charles agrees to do this, and then Henrietta makes the dumb, dumb move of telling someone that this is happening, and then that person alerts Parliament So, Charles enters the House of Commons with armed guards on January 4th of 1642, but the the people that they came to arrest had already escaped because someone told them that this was going to (laughs) happen. But because he does this, he violates Parliament because he enters with an armed force, and this is a big breach. Oh my gosh. Parliament... This says, quote, many in Parliament thought Charles's actions outrageous, as did the Corporation and City of London, which moved firmly behind Parliament. Charles no longer felt safe in London, and he went north to raise an army against Parliament. Oh my gosh. And the Queen then goes abroad to help pay for this. So, it's mid-1642, both sides are starting to arm themselves. Oh my and it's it's a whole thing. Well, they just try... like he's raising an army against Parliament, which is you know people he appoints and some nobles, but it's also just largely citizens of the realm. <laughs> so yes. It's like my man. <laughs> yeah, and not citizens so, who are trying to start a rebellion. They're just trying to put checks on him. Yeah, it's wild. but in his mind that is starting a rebellion because he believes in the divine right of kings. He right, Parliament does not have the power to do this. Right, so they try to negotiate. It's not going good. So Charles decides to raise the royal standard, which is an anachronistic medieval gesture, <laughs> um, in Nottingham on August twenty second of sixteen forty two. He sets up his court at Oxford, um, and his, I mean, there's a full divide now. And Parliament basically controls London and the South and East. And so it's time. We're going to have a conflict now. So on October 25th of 1642, the first English Civil War begins. Um, it starts with the Battle of Edge Hill. Um, and I'm not going to talk a lot about, you know, the actual conflicts of the war because... Um, That's, it's its own other thing. 
Yeah, and there's so much that happens after the conflicts of the first civil war that is kind of more important to our storyline. So I'm not going to go too deep into it. But it the war continues um, through 1643 and 1644 until the Battle of Naseby, which I think is the right pronunciation, um, where the military balance is decisively tipped in favor of Parliament. Essentially, Charles cannot beat them at this point. Um, the Royalists are defeated many times. Um, and then there's the Siege of Oxford, which Charles escapes in April of 1646 by disguising himself as a servant. He escapes. Um, and he runs off to the Scottish Presbyterian Army in Newark in England. Um Yo, this is a weird move, right? Because he still thinks he can gain support of the Scots because the Scots are kind of in between, right? Uh They're like, I don't know about either side. So they're kind of fighting, but not fighting. So he goes um, there and he's taken to Southwell, Nottinghamshire, um, while the Scottish army basically decides what to do with him. (laughs) Do we like him today or not? (laughs) Yeah. Um, He spends about nine months there while negotiations are going on. And the Scots finally decide um, they reach an agreement with English parliament that says in exchange for a hundred thousand pounds and the promise of more money in the future, the Scots will withdraw from Newcastle and they'll deliver Charles to them which they did in January of 1647. So Parliament holds Charles under house arrest at Holdenby House in Northamptonshire um, until Cornet George Joyce takes him by threat of force uh, from Holdenby on June 3rd in the name of the new model army. (sighs) So... At this point in time, the New Model Army and Parliament, there's a lot of kind of suspicion between them. Again, I'm not going to go too deep into the military uh, actions and uh, politics between the military forces. But the point is that Charles wants to exploit this conflict. Right. So he's transferred to Oatlands and then to Hampton Court Palace. Um, where there are more negotiations, but ultimately they don't really come to anything. And he is persuaded that it would probably be in his best interest to escape, either to go abroad, maybe to France, or to the custody of Colonel Robert Hammond, who is the parliamentary governor of the Isle of Wight. And he decides that that is going to be the best move, because he thinks Hammond will be sympathetic to him for whatever reason. So he flees his captivity on November 11th. But Hammond, actually not on his side. So (laughs) he puts him under house arrest in Carisbrook Castle. So while he's in Carisbrook Castle, Charles is trying to bargain. um, And again, seeks the help of the Scottish Presbyterians. And he comes to terms with them. And it says that, quote, he would allow the establishment of Presbyterianism in England as well as Scotland for a trial period. That's what he promises them. For 30 days, you can attempt to be Presbyterian in my country. Yeah. So at this point, Charles has been captured. He's fled. He's been captured again. He's been under house arrest. The royalists have been defeated. But he has um, undergone some negotiations And, oh, look, his army has perked up again. So the royalists rise again in July of 1648 and start a second civil war. (laughs) Lord. And the Scots invade England. Um, A lot of the uprisings in England are put down um, by the forces that are loyal to Parliament. And eventually the Scots are defeated at the Battle of Preston in 1648. And the Royalists, again, there's no chance that they're going to win. So Charles <laughs> tries to negotiate again. Um, but on December 5th, 1648, Parliament votes 129 to 83 to continue negotiating with the king. But your man, 
Oliver Cromwell. Oliver Cromwell. <laughs> and the army oppose any further negotiations. They basically say he is a tyrant. We can't do anything with him. Um, so you know what? It's better for us to consolidate our power against the king and stop trying to negotiate with him, which is what they do. Oliver Cromwell, man, we could do a whole other episode on him. Uh, he's the worst. <laughs> it's so, like it sucks that he has a cool name. I know, because he's the worst. He is the worst, and I think it, part of the cool name thing is that um, the Cromwell is the last name of the which is in um, Halloween Correct. Town. So yes. I have like a positive association with the name, but not with the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, at the end of 1648, Charles is moved to Hearst Castle, um, and then he's moved to Windsor Castle, and um, in January of 1649, um, Parliament, uh, or sorry, the House of Commons passes an act of Parliament creating a court for Charles's trial. Um, this is in response to Charles defying Parliament. And even after his defeat, encouraging a second civil war, that's kind of the trigger for them to decide we are going to put him on trial. Right. Um, again, it's not common for Parliament to actually put a monarch on trial. Because again, like, it's treasonous in nature. <laughs> yeah. So they, um, the High Court of Justice is established Um by that act of parliament and it consists of 135 commissioners who are all you know parliamentarians Mm -hmm. um and the prosecution is led by solicitor general john cook his charles charles's trial begins on january 20th of 1649 um and he is charged with high treason and other high crimes which is they're charging their king with treason yeah it's so wild Charles refuses to enter a plea because, again, he is the king. He says that no court has jurisdiction over the monarch. Mm -hmm. The court, however, argues that, like, the monarch is still a man and no one should be above the law. Like, that's kind of how they get away with doing this because Mm -hmm. Parliament's position is that there is no divine right of kings. Like, the monarch is there because we allow the monarch to be there, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, over the period of um, about a week, Charles is asked to plead three times, and he refuses every time. At the end of that third attempt, Charles is removed from the court, and the court then hears over 30 witnesses against him. Which, by the way, was also weird, because typically, if you refuse to enter a plea, the court would take that basically as an admission of guilt, and then they wouldn't hear witnesses against you. They would just make a decision, right? Right. But they decide to hear witnesses anyway, um, and they hear that over the next two days. And then on January 26th, King Charles I is condemned to death. It's wild. They bring him before a public session of the commission, declare him guilty, and sentence him. Wow. Um, so on January 29th, 1649, 59 of the commissioners signed Charles's death warrant. <laughs> um, he's led from St. James's, James's Palace, uh, where he had been confined, to the Palace of Whitehall, where an execution scaffold had been erected in front of the banqueting house. Um, two of his children had been allowed to remain in England under the control of you know, the parliamentarians, um, Elizabeth and Henry, and they're permitted to visit him on January 29th. Um, and he says goodbye. Um, I found this interesting. The morning of his execution, he calls for two shirts to prevent the cold weather from causing him to shiver so that the crowd would not mistake it for fear. Huh. And on January 30th, 1649, Charles is led under a guard to the scaffold. Um, He's separated from spectators by large ranks of soldiers. Um, And so only the people who are near the scaffold actually hear his, like, final speech Mm -hmm. and his last words, which I don't 
I didn't look too deeply into the whole speech. Um, it was kind of long because he's long-winded. Um, and at about 2 p.m., Charles puts his head on the block after saying a prayer and signals the executioner when he's ready by stretching out his hands and he's beheaded in one clean take. Wow. Um, the executioner is actually disguised. He's wearing a mask and they, they nobody wanted to be known as the king's executioner. So we oh, don't yeah. actually know. We don't actually know who did it still. Because it's, it's different than executions of monarchs in other countries in the midst of rebellions for yes. I would not like a king anymore. Like, that's not what's happening here. Right. It's, right. it's just that he forced a civil war, and so that's why he was executed. This is a the country saying we are going to put our king on trial. It's not the people, right? Yeah. It's the government. And yeah. That's different. And the country still wants a monarch they just can't have it right. be him anymore right it's com- it's a completely different situation yeah but he was tried as a traitor to the country right so it's common practice for the severed head of a traitor to be held up and exhibited to the crowd with the words behold the head of a traitor <laughs> so they do exhibit his head but they don't they don't say that again uh-huh. pro- probably because the executioner didn't want his voice to be recognized huh um interesting interesting. um sorry this is a little gross on the day after the execution his head is sewn back onto his body (gasps) um and then he's embalmed and put in a lead coffin Um, if they were gonna do that why didn't they just hang him (laughs) oh because you don't hang a king it's fair but this uh, is not that that type of execution is not yeah for a a monarch that yeah it's a show, right? They, it's you don't hang a king. Yeah. Um. The commission refuses to allow Charles to be buried at Westminster Abbey. Wow. So his body is actually taken to Windsor on the night of February seventh, and he's buried in a, um, he's buried in private on February 9th of sixteen forty nine in the Henry the Eighth vault in the chapel's choir, um alongside the coffins of Henry and Henry's third wife, Jane Seymour, because that's the one he actually liked, mm-hmm. um, in St. George's Chapel in Windsor. It's so, that I, every time I think about that, buried next to his third wife, his favorite like, of his wives. The one, the only one he liked. That's uh, because he so, would have stayed with her had circumstances been different. Yes, he would have, but she died. Um, yeah. So, you know, just as a little wrap up here, so, you know, their king has been beheaded, um, Power is assumed by a council of state, um, which did include our, you know, your man, Oliver Cromwell, (laughs) who was at that time Lord General of the Parliamentary Army. He then becomes Lord Protector of England, which is what most people kind of know him as in history. Um, of sorry, of England, Scotland, and Ireland, um, which is he he's essentially a monarch. Except that they don't call him a monarch. Mm-hmm. He's even invested on the royal coronation chair. Like, they... It's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but he dies in 1658, and then he's briefly succeeded by his son, Richard Cromwell. Um, but he was not very effective. And then Parliament decides that... Um, like eventually they hold some elections and then they decide to restore Charles's oldest son to the monarchy. And then he becomes Charles II. So that's how we get back to having Kings. So for for a brief period, no King in England, except for kind of a King that wasn't a King. Um, Who was the worst. worst. So that man, that was a lot. That was fascinating. And there was a lot of stuff. I, like I said, I didn't include, Um, but that's Charles fascinating story a lot going on with him yeah um yeah sorry that was a long one but i i just find him really interesting yeah you know so a wild monarch oh what yeah yeah set up a lot of stuff current english government the seeds for early america a lot happened with that guy Uh, yeah a lot happened with the people who opposed that guy yeah (laughs) yeah 
man, there and there was of course a lot more I could have gone into about the Puritans, but again, like the episode's not really about that culture. Um right. but man, it was a difficult time in mm-hmm. England and Ireland and Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? Wales, too. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Boy. So, I hope everybody enjoyed the episode. I frankly can't believe I got through it without, like, completely losing track of how to speak. I think it's just because I was like, I just need to get through this. Probably. I don't want us to be here five ever. <laughs> <laughs> just burn through it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's Charles. Here we are. Um, I keep repeating myself. I'm sorry. I'm now I'm at that point where it's like, okay, I'm done with that. Now what is my brain doing? Uh-huh. Is stopped firing. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know what we'll talk about next time. Yeah. Nope. But um if anybody has any suggestions or anything else, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. And we would really love it if you'd leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I'm at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woof. Woof. Woof is right. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you deserve one. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time. Remember that time. Remember that time.